I'm really excited about our passage of scripture today because we're going to begin uh, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it is full of a variety of characters in the scripture and the faith that they had in God. And so we often call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith uh, because of what it's talking about and who it's talking about, faith and those who were faithful. Now, the opening verses that we're going to study this morning um, define faith as being confident in something or someone that we cannot see, uh, having hope in, in a substance of something that, that we cannot see or touch. And that's, that's true of us and God. We cannot see God. We have not audibly heard God. But at the same time, we believe that He is, and our confidence and our hope is in Him. Even though I can't see Him, I trust Him. And when my faith is in God, even though He's unseen, it is well-founded. When my faith is in the Word of God, even though I may not completely understand everything that it says, it is well-founded because it comes from Him. Now, having confidence, believing in something that you cannot see or fully understand, I'm surrounded with illustrations of that. Uh, looking right over here, uh, this, someone gave us this old stoplight. I think they bought it at an antique store. I don't understand how this thing works. I don't really understand how the light works. I don't understand the circuit in it that makes the different colored lights come on at different times. But I know when I turn the switch on that that thing is going to come on and work. Uh, I've got these machines right here at my feet. I've got a chainsaw and a weed eater and a blower. I don't perfectly understand a combustion engine, but I know when I prime this thing and I pull the cord on these machines, I know that they're going to fire up and work. Uh, right behind me is a light switch. I don't fully understand how electricity is generated, brought to my house. I don't understand all of that exactly, but I know when I turn this off, the lights go off. When I turn it on, the lights come on. And so every day we are putting our faith, our confidence, our hope in things that we can't fully explain. Uh, that, that, that shouldn't be any different with God. Even though I can't see God, even though I don't fully explain God and things like the Trinity, I am still correct. It's still best for me to put my faith in Him. All right. Hey, that'll kind of preach. So let's talk about it. Um, <clears throat> professor at a Christian college one time says to his class, uh, today, students, I'm going to share the gospel with you. But in my presentation of the gospel, I'm going to leave one element out. And I want you to listen. And at the end of the presentation, I want you to tell me what the one element is that I've left out. So they say, okay, bring it. So he goes into the presentation of the gospel. He talks about how the world is under the curse of sin and all the damage that sin does to the world. Then he talks about how we're all sinners. And then he talks about how the wages of sin is death and how, how, how sin, the consequence of it, brings the condemnation and wrath of God. And then he talks about the beauty of morality and how living for God is really a better thing than living for sin. And even uses the word repentance and talks about how we need to turn away from sin. And then he, he talks about the uh, uh, realities of heaven and goes through the whole thing and gets to the end of the presentation and kind of rests his argument and says, okay, students, that's, that's the gospel what did I leave out? And not a single student raised their hand to say, well, you left out this. They all said, oh, no, sounds like you, you, you covered it all. And he says, class, class, 
did any of you not realize that in my whole presentation of the gospel, I never one time mentioned the name Jesus? I never mentioned faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the one thing we cannot leave out. And actually, what we're going to learn today, I think in this passage of Scripture, in our message today, that actually faith in God, faith in Jesus, is actually what, what, what makes everything make sense in the world. It, it answers the big questions about life. And so in our lives, faith in Christ is certainly something that we absolutely cannot leave out. Now, if, uh, if you're new today, college OBU student, welcome. Um, every time we, we get up to, to do a message, you're going to see a QR code on the screen. And if you want a little digital outline of the sermon, you can just pull your phone out, zoom in on that, and it'll uh, take, take, take you uh, to that outline. But, um, whoops. <laughs> uh, we have been studying the whole book of Hebrews uh, the whole year. So we started at chapter 1 in January, and we have been working through kind of verse by verse all of the, the book of Hebrews, and it just happens to be that today we come to chapter 11, which is a very, very famous chapter, not just in Hebrews, but in all of the Bible. Uh, many times it is nicknamed the Hall of Faith because chapter 11 of Hebrews has this long list of, of men and women from the Old Testament uh, who, who were pleasing to God because of their faith. And so I wanted to take our Bibles, and uh, we're going to begin this chapter, and today what we're really just going to talk about is, is what is the definition of faith? So before the author of Hebrews describes uh, all, all these people and their acts of faith, he, he's going to talk to us here about what exactly is faith. So let's just read the first three verses of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, right off here at the very beginning, we see that faith has this kind of future-oriented uh, calculus, if you will. Uh, what is faith? Faith is me hoping for something, uh, right, that I, that, that I have a confidence in something I'm hoping for, and then it's that I have a conviction, I am convinced of things that I have not seen. So you see how it's kind of future-looking. When I say I am hoping for something, what does that mean? Uh, I'm looking for something in the future. If I'm hoping for the one who has promised all of this, I have this conviction of, of, of it not being seen. Now, looking at faith as this future-oriented thing, it makes perfect sense right here in the book of Hebrews. Because remember, the whole overall context of Hebrews is these are Christians who were formerly Jews. They converted to Christianity. When they converted to Christianity, and they most likely live in Rome, when they converted to Christianity, the Roman government began to persecute them. And then when they converted away from Judaism to Christianity, their family and their friends abandoned them. So they would have lost all the social structures in their life, and now they're actually being persecuted, even killed. Their property is being taken away. They're being imprisoned imprisoned. All of this is happening because they're following Jesus. So the big temptation for them is to turn away from following Jesus and to go back to the old way because that was comfortable and that was easy. 
the argument of the whole book of Hebrews is keep following Jesus, keep moving forward, that's our theme for this year, keep moving forward in Jesus because no one or thing or ideology is greater than Jesus. And no one other than Jesus can actually save you and make you right with God. So regardless of the cost, regardless of the price, you need to keep moving forward in Jesus. And so here are people in their present being persecuted. The present for them is not very much fun right now. So he reminds them about the future idea of faith. I'm not living for anything that's in the present. I'm not living for anything that I can actually see or touch or spend. I am living for what is eternal, and I am living for that time when I will see Jesus face to face and be with him for all of eternity in heaven. This is where my citizenship is, in heaven, not here in the tangible and material and temporal. So that's kind of the backdrop of this. So what we see then in this first verse is really the definition of faith. What is faith? It is the assurance of what I'm hoping for the conviction of what I've yet to see. So the key, I think, word and thought in this first verse is the word assurance. Now, it's a brilliant word, and I think the author of Hebrews, being a brilliant person, intentionally used this word because in the day and time when this was written, this was a word that had about a half dozen kind of usages. I want to go through just a couple of them with you because they really help us understand the mechanics, the definition behind faith. So look on the screen with me here. Again, this future kind of thinking idea. Look at what the Apostle Paul says to the Romans. Hope that is seen is not hope. I don't hope in this table right here. I don't need to hope in the table because I see it. I know it's here. I'm touching it. I'm hitting it. So what does he say? Hope that is seen, it's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So how do I know then that what I'm hoping for really is true? By the way, as a Christian, what am I hoping for? Uh, First of all, I'm hoping for some things in kind of a a retroactive sense. I'm hoping that when the Bible tells me that the universe came into existence on the word of God and not through some naturalistic random chance of processes, I'm hoping that's true. I'm hoping there is a God. Uh, I'm hoping there really was a man named Jesus who walked this earth. I'm hoping that what the Bible tells me about my sin and my need for Christ, I'm hoping all of that is true. Now let's move to the future. And honestly, so much hinges on this. Uh, I am hoping that one day Jesus is going to return to this earth. I am hoping that when he does, he is going to resurrect my body from the dead, and I am hoping that he will give me a new glorified body. I am hoping that heaven is real. I am hoping that even though my mind cannot grasp the idea of eternity, there is no beginning and there is no end, I am hoping that it's true. Now, how do you know all that's for real? Let's talk about it. Couple that with the second part, the conviction of things not seen. How can you be convinced that everything I just said that the Bible says is true? So we go to this word, 
assurance. So here's one of the ways this word was used. In the writer of Hebrews' day, it was used to describe the substance or the nature of something. Now you look on the screen, we go way back to the beginning of Hebrews, look at chapter 1, verse 3. So you see, he, the author of Hebrews is right out of the chute in Hebrews is making the argument, there is no one, no thing, no ideology greater than Jesus. So to say that, he says, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. How do I know there's nothing greater than Jesus? Because Jesus is God. But do you all see the word nature, the very last word on the screen? It's the exact same Greek word as assurance in 11.1. So it is the essence, the nature, the, the substance to this. We're talking about a God I cannot see. Nobody can raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I've seen God. Or I've audibly heard God. I've touched God. No one can say that. How do I really know all these things are gonna come true? So what this word, this assurance is, it puts some substance to it. Look at the statement I have for you on the screen here. Look at this with me. So what does all this mean then? It means by faith, we possess things that are hoped for. We possess them. They're ours. Faith is the manner in which we hold them, and by faith they are real in our experience. So even though I haven't seen God, he is real to me, and I know he's real on, through this, this basis of faith. And I am convinced, I am convicted that he is real and everything that he says is true. Now watch this, y'all. There's this kind of double-edged truth to what we're talking about. At the heart of faith is the future. I believe that God is going to come and manifest all the things that he has said. But at the same time, it's in the future, right? I'm hoping for, but at the same time, back up. I am now presently convinced. I'm convicted this is true. So faith has this forward-looking idea, but at the same time, as I'm focused on what is ahead of me, it changes who I am right now. Does that make sense? This is faith. Now, you have a great example of faith coming up in chapter 11. Here in just a Sunday or two, we'll hit it. It's Abraham. So let's think about Abraham. The author of Hebrews is going to spend quite a bit of time on him. Let's think about Abraham and this whole uh, future idea, can't see it, hoping for it, changes me right now. Okay, so here's Abraham. Abraham is over in, in modern-day Iraq, Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, if Abraham is doing what the Mesopotamian people were doing at his time of being alive, he was probably worshiping the moon or fire or both. And God comes and calls Abraham to follow him. People say, oh, well, God chose Abraham because he was kind of the likely candidate. No, he wasn't. He was worshiping the moon. God chose Abraham because he, was, uh, he had a little shred of faith or he was a God-fear. He didn't have a clue who God was. And it's a beautiful picture, by the way, of the gospel. Because here I am, before I came to Christ, I was, I was loving my sin. And I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't seeking God. I was just, I was happy as I could be in my sin. And then God came and called me to follow him. So what happens with Abraham? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham... Uh, I'm God, I want you to believe in me, 
and I want you to follow me, and I'm going to give to you a land, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. And Abraham says, okay. Now, the land belongs to Abraham because God has given it to him. But does God, does Abraham possess the land? No, a bunch of pagan Canaanites live in it right now. This land is no more his than you and me. And yet Abraham believes it's his possession on the basis of faith because of the faithfulness of the God who was promising it to him. So Abraham, based on on something that's yet to come, something that he cannot even see, Abraham changes everything in his life based on that. Does that sound like you and me as a Christian? And by the way, did it change Abraham's life right now? Uh, Yeah, he packed up everything, left everything that was comfortable and familiar, and left to follow God. Oh, and by the way, on the way there, God gives him another little thing that's a great illustration of what we're talking about. God says to Abraham, hey, yo, by by the way, Abraham, I'm going to give you so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them all. Now, that's kind of funny, because Abraham's a really old man, and his wife Sarah is a really old woman. In fact, at some point in this whole journey, when she overhears all this, Sarah just starts laughing. (laughs) I'm going to have children? You know, hey, that ship has sailed. And yet, these children are as good as his even though he hasn't seen one of these children yet. Why? Because of the God that promised it to him. So friends, all those promises, is Jesus coming back one day? Are you going to live for all of eternity with him in heaven one day? I'm telling you what, it's as real as the hand in front of my face. It has substance to it. I can hang on to it right now because of the God who promised it to me. Now, here's another thing about the word assurance. It has substance. The other way that it was used in in, in the world in this first century is it, 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 it refers to an object of faith. Okay, the word assurance, it can refer to the nature or the essence of something. The word assurance literally means that which stands or sits under. So this table right here is standing or sitting under my notes and and Bible. My notes and Bible are not just going to float in the air by themselves. There has to be a foundation underneath it. And what we learn from this, and I think one of the reasons why the author uses this particular word is to tell you this, very important, listen. Faith always has to have an object. We live in a culture today that wants to tell you faith is having faith in faith itself. How do you know that? Because you hear this bancied about all the time. It's almost become a humanist mantra. Hey, you just got to have a little faith. Anytime someone ever says to me, hey, you know, Todd, you just got to have a little faith. I always in a loving way say, faith in what? Or in whom? Faith, real faith, is not having faith in faith itself. And we go back to our professor at the beginning of the message. We cannot leave Jesus Christ out. The other thing here is that this word assurance is kind of like the first of substance. It was used of a guarantee. So in the marketplace in the day of of Hebrews here, 
In the marketplace, uh, the word assurance was given like a guarantee, like a handshake, like a deal. Um, um, uh, uh, it, it would also be used of, an, of, of like an attestment. We, we would use the word an affidavit today. Hey, I have said this. I'm signing my name on it. It's true. So like a guarantee, like a promise that's rock solid, that can't be taken away. Uh, now I think of Noah. God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah, build a boat. And you know Noah's got to be thinking, why in the world would I build a boat? And also, maybe it's one deal if God had told Noah, hey, build a boat that's like 10 feet long or 20 feet long. But God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah, build a boat that's like a couple of football fields long. Now, why in the world would Noah? Noah has seen no evidence. Noah cannot see God. Noah has seen no evidence that the world is going to flood. It hasn't been raining a lot. And yet, why does Noah build this ginormous boat? Because he is banking on what God has told him is true. God, I want you to, Noah, I want you to build a big boat. Well, why do you want me to build a big boat, God? Because I'm going to flood the world. Okay. So you put all this together, and you have these two things, the double-edged sword. Faith has a forward, future-looking focus. Believing in the God I cannot see, believing in the word that he has given me, his promises, and then the other thing with that is that belief in the unseen God, that belief in his promises, that hope in that changes who I am right now. Now, uh, always love a good Peanuts cartoon. How about y'all? Uh, here's Lucy and Linus. Lucy says to Linus, go get me a glass of water. Uh, to which Linus replies, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. To which Lucy says, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. Linus gets up and goes to the kitchen and says, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. So friends, what is faith? Faith means I am not living for what I see audibly hear, spend, touch, you name it. I'm not living for what is temporal and material. I am living for what is eternal. This is faith. And you can see this here coming up in just a, a little bit in a few Sundays when we get to Moses in Hebrews 11. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, the temporal, the present. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward to his reward. This is the essence of faith. Now, before I move on, uh, let me just try to bring this home to you, and, and let me just try to help you understand this future idea of faith, how it changes my life. Let's just try to use an illustration. Let me help you understand this. Let's say that on Friday of this coming week, you were promised $10 million. Okay? You know that on Friday coming up, 
you're going to have $10 million in the bank. I mean, you're going Friday morning, you're going to get up, you're going to look at your phone, you're going to look at your bank account, and your bank account is going to say $10,023.76, because that's what you had to start with before Friday. Okay, You laugh at that, but not my Peanuts cartoon. Okay, never mind. It's all good. $10,023.76. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you know you're getting $10 million on Friday, is that going to change What's going on with you right now? Sure it is. First thing, wait, I'm, I'm going to have $10 million when I wake up Friday morning? <laughs> okay, first, I, what, what, what's everything I owe? I'm paying off all my debts. Um, what am I going to do with this money? You know, my, how am I going to invest it? I, what, what, it's going to change everything, right? What's coming in the future changes the present. What I'm hoping for, that this promise is true, is going to bring a conviction in my life, right? It's going to change who I am. Now let's just take it one step further. You're getting $10 million on Friday from whom? Who's going to give you $10 million? Now if we could backpedal a few years, uh, I don't know, I can't think of... (laughs) Yeah. If the person that promised you the $10 million was like Bernie Madoff, y'all remember him, right? Swindled everybody out of all their millions of dollars, right? You're not, nothing's going to change in your life because if Bernie Madoff or if the guy you work with who just got put in jail for embezzling money from, from the company, you're not going to change anything in your life. You know why? Because one, a guy like that doesn't have the character, He's not interested in helping you. He's not going to give you $10 million. He's just interested in himself. And two, you're not going to get $10 million from that guy because he's broke. But what about God? God says, here's what's true. And God says, this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen to you when you die. This is what's going to happen one day in the future. This is what eternity is going to look like. Now, is that going to change your life? Absolutely, because one, does God have the character? Yeah, he's perfect. Two, does God have the resources? Does God God have the power to do this? No, I mean, just think about that for a second. Is this really going to happen? (laughs) I mean, is God... Really going to be able to stop human history? Is God really going to come down from heaven? Is God really going to raise my casket out of the grave or take my ashes? And he's, can God really do that? Can God really resurrect me from the dead? Yeah, he did it with his son. So he's got the character and he's got the power. He's got the resources. That's why when I have faith in God, it is well-founded. So, the future, the hope, the conviction of all this to come, it changes me. Look at 2 Corinthians. For all the promises of God find their maybe, possibly, no, their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, I I, I spent too much time on verse 1. I beat that horse to death. Look at verse 2 now. Look at this. 
So now verse 2, we don't need to take much time on this. It's very simple. It says, for by it the people of old. Incidentally, who are the people of old? That's all the people getting ready to come up in Hebrews 11 in, in the Old Testament. They received, by faith, they received their commendation. Now I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting. Is in the next several Sundays as we study Hebrews 11, you're going to find something. Watch this. God commends every one of these people. Man, uh, Abel did great, and Abraham did great, and, and, and um, uh, uh, Rahab did great, and all, 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 Moses did great, all these, all these Old Testament people that did great. But here's the thing you're, you're going to find that's not there. Not a single one of these people is commended by God because of their gifts, or their ability, or their money, or their power, or their popularity. The only thing that God commends these people for is their faith in him. By the way, you live in a culture that completely does not value faith in the supernatural. In fact, the culture thinks you're dumb for believing in God and the supernatural. And the culture prizes fame and power and money and intellect and all these abilities that you might have you know, all the statues and memorials, and we, we have them all to these people who have these things or these great accomplishments. We don't have a lot of statues and memorials just for people who have faith in God. Look at me. Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to stand before God as your judge one day and have him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, you will never hear those words because you were smart or gifted or rich or famous. You will only hear those words if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And so the last thing is verse 3. Now, I don't know about y'all, but verse 3 just seems out of place, okay? Because you have verse 1 and verse 2, this is a great definition of faith. Verse 4 is going to start, it's going to start the listing of all the people. It's going to talk about uh, Abel and all that. But 3 is this kind of seemingly odd, out-of-place reference to God creating the universe. But if you think about it, 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 it makes perfect sense. Because what has he just talked about? He's talked about believing in things that you cannot see. So first of all, raise your hand if you saw God create the universe. Obviously, no one did. I didn't see God create the universe. But in the context of Hebrews, watch this. We're talking about faith, and we're talking about faith in God, a supernatural God that I cannot see, and faith in his promises, right? In the context of Hebrews, they are surrounded by people a Roman government persecuting them, telling them, you guys are being ridiculous to believe in one single monotheistic God and what you're talking about in the text of the Old Testament, all the, yeah, and believing in Jesus, all of that is ridiculous. You and I live in a culture today, no different. We live in a culture today that says if you believe in God and you believe in the supernatural and you believe that actually God gave us this book and inspired it, you're a moron. You've checked your brain at the door. You're a simpleton. You're weak and feeble-minded. That's what our culture tells us. But the author of Hebrews comes back and says, hey, we just want to remind you, this God that your world doesn't believe in is the one that makes sense of everything. 
And faith in him is what makes sense for everything. By the way, if you believe the universe came into existence through random naturalistic evolutionary processes, you're really on the horns of an ontological dilemma. How do you have something that is real, the universe, have no beginning? Because, by the way, evolution, naturalistic evolution, still every bit as much a theory as they claim Christianity is. No one has seen evolution. I don't care what you read, I don't care what you write, I don't care what you write, no one has seen evolution. The fossils in the ground underneath us, if evolution were true, should be full of transitional forms showing us how a dinosaur came, became a bird. Do you know how many transitional forms we've dug up out of the ground? Not a one. You ask a secularist, how did the world begin? They say, oh, the Big Bang. What is the Big Bang? The Big Bang is a cosmic egg of space dust and particles that exploded and rapidly expanded. That's, that's what caused the universe. Where did the egg come from? You're in an ontological dilemma if you believe the Big Bang is the beginning and the cause of the universe. It doesn't explain it. Everything I see and touch is a contingent being. The only reason it's here is because someone or something caused it to be here. Logically, you have to conclude there has to be a necessary being outside of time and space who caused all these contingent things to be. And yet, faith helps us to understand, oh, that's how we all got here. Faith answers these big questions. How did I get here? Why am I here? What happens to me when I die? But without faith, friends, we're like that old story about the mice that lived in the piano. Y'all heard this? You remember the story? So the little family of mice, they lived in the bottom of the piano. And for their whole existence, they heard this wonderful music wafting over them. And for all their whole existence, they, they believed in the great player. They didn't know where that music was coming from. They didn't know who caused that music, but they knew there was someone out there that was causing that music to be. But one day, one of the mice got brave, and one of the mice kind of climbed up into the piano, and he saw all the wires in the piano, and he saw the wires moving and vibrating, and he ran back down to his, to his, to his fellow mice, and he says, hey, there, there's no great player after all. The music is being caused by all of these wires. And then another mouse went up and got a little more adventurous, and he came back down and said, hey, it's not just the wires. It's the hammers that are hitting the wires. And all of a sudden, the great player just became a myth to them. There is no great player. It's the wires and the hammers that are causing the music. Now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand my illustration. We live in a culture today that thinks the wires and the hammers are the cause and the reason of everything. And that's what you're going to believe apart from faith. But friends, when you have faith, all of a sudden you realize, oh, there is a player who is making those hammers and those wires move. And apart from faith, we don't have that understanding. So friends, this is the importance then of faith. It is a forward-looking, futuristic, not futuristic, 
but hoping for, convinced of the substance of all these things that are yet to come. And so, friends, this is why faith is so important. And did you notice in verse 3? Once again, how, how can I know? How can I trust? How does God, how does he bring the universe into existence? It was made by the word of God. All right. I'm, I'm banking, I'm banking everything I believe. I'm banking, I'm banking my whole life on what this book tells me. Did y'all know that? <laughs> I, I, am, I am counting, I am hoping, I am now convinced that there is a God who created the universe. And I didn't come here by a random process. I believe this word, when the word says to me, I am a sinner and God is perfect. I believe when this word says to me that the result of my sin will be an eternity in hell and condemnation. I believe when this word says to me that God's solution to that through his grace is by sending his son named Jesus Christ, who I believe this word really was a person who really lived, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. I believe when the word says he died on the cross for my sin. I believe when the word says three days later he rose from the dead. I believe when the word says that I cannot put my faith in my goodness or anything I've done, but my faith has to be in Jesus Christ to be right and saved with him. I believe when this word says that he is gonna return one day. I believe when the word says he's gonna raise me from the dead. I believe when the word says there is a heaven and I believe when the word says there's eternity. And you hear all that and you say, well, why would you believe that word? Because that is the word that created the universe. His word. And I'm going to tell you right now, friends, you remember in the beginning, there was nothing. There was just God. When God created the universe, he didn't go to Cosmic Home Depot. He didn't gather all this stuff up. He created the universe out of nothing. And how did he do it? He spoke a word. And if that word was so powerful to bring everything into existence, then my friends, this word can be believed. And I believe him when he tells me this is the key to everything. It's faith in him. I pray you have that faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for faith. It makes, it makes everything make sense. And thank you, Lord, that we can even have faith in you through our relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray today, first of all, for anyone here, anyone listening to me who does not have faith in you, who is not following Jesus by faith, that today you would draw them to yourself, show them of their need to follow you. Father, for those of us who love you, who know you, help us to keep being anchored in our faith, to not slide backward into living for what is temporal or sinful or material, but, Father, that our eyes would be focused on Jesus, 
and that we would understand we are living not for the now, but for eternity. And Father, may our focus on eternity shape and mold who we are today to be focused on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.